Well, somebody left the gate open somewhere. A lot of folks got in, but we're glad you're here. Appreciate your presence. There's a lot of people who mean the world to me who have come from other places at night, and it's good to see you. One thing I love about holding meetings in places, I get to go around and see all my favorite friends all over the world. And it's always a pleasure for me to go places like this and to hear this singing. I tell you, we're not going to say enough good about God. We're not going to sing enough about that. We need to think about the praise and honor and glory He's worthy of and just sing with all that's in us. And so it's a great thing that you're here tonight to join your voice with ours. And to, Did you notice we were all teaching each other? The ladies were teaching the men, the men teaching the women, the children teaching the old folks, and the old folks teaching the children. When we sing, we're strumming our heart and we're teaching and admonishing each other to think about what God has done for us. And I want to say to you that it, it's a temptation maybe for you to sit in here tonight and to sit in here time after time and not think about obeying the gospel when you haven't done that. And I want to say to you that uh, you probably, if you're young, you probably didn't know anything about Pearl Harbor. But when Pearl Harbor was bombed, we think now we had a 24-hour to 48-hour window knowing that was going to happen. We had heard some things over the airways, but we didn't believe it could happen on that occasion. And so we did nothing about it. We now know that we probably had a 24 to 48 hour window when the uh, September the 11th they flew into the tires in New York City. We heard that on the airways some people got word of it, but we just didn't believe it was going to happen then, and so we didn't do anything about it. And you can say it tonight, and I can tell you, the Lord may come tonight. We don't know. You don't know, and I don't know. And you may sit here through this sermon. And before it's over, the Lord may come. And I want to say to you, if you sit in the sermon at any time and you determine you want to obey the gospel, you stop me. That's how important it is. And so you think about that, young people and old alike. If you've not obeyed the gospel, let me tell you, you're sitting in a terribly dangerous place. Eternity is in the balance, and you need to think about that. And so we're going to look tonight at some of the things that Peter urges upon us to do. Well, we're living in a world where we're sometimes mistreated. Have you ever noticed when you look at the Bible, there are several books that talk about suffering and problems and trouble. The book of Job. Uh, we see a book where Job didn't know what went on in the first two chapters. But we see Job struggling and having a hard time losing almost everything he had except his life. And yet Job held on to one thing. He didn't know why things were they were. He didn't know where God was, but he held on to God. And so what Job teaches is when life gets to be a puzzle and you're struggling and suffering and you can't figure things out, just hold on to God. That's what Job says. And then when you look at the book of James, you see that James tells us about trouble and problems and trials. And James says when you face trouble and problems and trials in life, let me tell you what to do. Hold on to your faith. Because faith, good people, is putting your total trust in what God said and believing it all the way to the end of the road. And so James tells us that's what we've got to hold on to. The book of Revelation is a book of people who were suffering and having trouble. And what that book teaches is what we've got to do no matter what comes our way, what trials or troubles come, we must overcome. We must hang on and overcome so that we will make it to the end. And now tonight we're going to look at 1 Peter and begin in the uh, the second chapter in verse 13. And we're going to notice how that what Peter's telling us to do is to hold on to your living hope. There's something out beyond us out here. I don't know if you've ever seen or know the statue of Columbus. It's on the eastern part of the, of the continent of Europe. It's far out on the point that you can get in that, in that continent. And there's a statue of, of, Lincoln, of, uh, of Columbus there. And on the statue, there's a phrase that says, 
plus, uh, I knew I'd forget it. But it means there's something more beyond here. And that's what hope is saying. There's something more beyond here. Columbus believed that about where he was, and we need to believe that about where we are. There's something beyond where we are, and so we need to fix our mind upon that. But now, as we think about that and live in the world we're living in and face the things we're facing, you might say, well, you know, it's hard enough to live right without adding some extra burdens about thinking about being a Christian and, and trying to do what God says. And sometimes we fail to, we think that life is already full and too busy, and so we don't want to do that. And I want you to think tonight as we look at what Peter says, and think about the kind of people we ought to be about, about being treated like a doormat. How do you respond? Have you ever been treated like a doormat? Have you ever had somebody, a road hog? Have you ever seen a road hog? I've had some people come down the road and run me off of the road. And I was tempted to do several things. There are people who don't know what they're doing and they run you off the road and you've got to decide. You can go to Walmart and see them in the parking lot. And there are other people who are line cutters. You know who they are? They're the people, you stand there in line, here they come up and they just jump right in front of everybody. And you say, well, what am I going to do about this? There are people like that in the world. And you and they treat you like you're just a doormat. You're just somebody who's in their way. Or what about people who are bullies? You ever seen a bully and how they treat people? I remember going through school having to deal with bullies who took my lunch money from me, took my lunch from me, my bicycle, even took my bus check when I rode the bus. I had to walk home. And so I had to deal with people like that. And so when you look at that in the world and you see, I remember one time watching a movie, and I'd come in on the, on the I didn't catch the beginning of it, it was about a soldier who was in this town, and, and he was uh, just doing all sorts of things. They were trying to kill this soldier, and he was trying to survive, and, and he just kind of blew up the town after he got to the end of the movie. And I thought, why did he do all that? What was going on? And I didn't know, I'd missed the fact that they had mistreated him awful bad, and so people like to watch movies where we see justice. When when policemen or somebody somebody does wrong in any kind of way in authority, we want justice. We want we want John Wayne. I've said many times when I was younger, when we didn't have elders in Madison, we'd have a business meeting and some men would get into a fuss and they would say things about me and other people that upset me. And I couldn't wait to get home and put a John Wayne movie in because I want to see somebody get knocked off the picture screen, you know, and just was laid back in the parking lot. And so you just kind of, you, you want justice. You don't want somebody who can just run over. And that's why we like to watch movies where justice is seen. But let me tell you, that's not the way life really is. And if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to learn and not be shocked, not be surprised that you're probably going to be shortchanged and mistreated and un, uh, people are going to mishandle you in some way. And you've got to decide, how am I going to go about that? Now listen to what Peter says. And this is a term that really bothers us all. We don't realize it sometimes. But in verse 13 of the second chapter, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the kings as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do good. For so is the will of God, that by well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty as a cloak of malice, but as the servants of God. Now notice, he says in verse 17, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now think about this for a moment or two. The writer's saying, you know, there's a, there's this system of governments in the world. He's just going to take some areas and show us where submission is a, something that's a part of, of what we are as Christians. And living in a world where we have governments... 
And we know that the governments are ordained of God, and they don't bear the sword in vain. And God has sent them, don't you see here, so that they will punish evildoers. Now, I'm afraid that many times the government doesn't do that, you see. The people who are evil, people who are wicked, and people that are ungodly, sometimes the government lets them go. And I don't hardly know ever where the government ever praises those who do good. It seems like I've never, when I see a policeman or somewhere in, in a store or a McDonald's, I always go up and shake his hand and tell him, uh, God bless you for what you're doing. I appreciate people like you who are trying to help our nation, help law and order prevail. And I want to tell them that. But I've never had a policeman ever come to me and say, well, God bless you for appreciating me, you know. And so we need to think about the fact that here's the reason why God designed government. And what we should understand is when God designed that government, what He wants us to do is submit. Now notice, Peter uses that term many times. Just drop down for a moment. And notice what he says when you drop down to verse 18 of this chapter. Servants, be subject unto your master. Notice that. Then drop down to the third chapter in verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands. And so you just keep seeing Peter bringing this issue up about submission and surrendering to things. Look at, look at what's said in the fifth chapter and in verse, in verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, and all you be subject one to another. So over and over you keep seeing Peter telling us that what we must do with people is learn to submit ourselves. That means to rank yourself under something or somebody else. Now here's the government now. Now, okay, now, what about the government? What if the government is unjust? What if the government is unfair? I was in Ethiopia or in uh, Uganda uh, last year. And uh, our president went over there and told the Ugandan people that to talk to their president and their nation said, if you all don't start making homosexuality uh, legal here, we're going to stop giving you uh, support from America. And so you know what the president told our president? Go on back home and keep your money. Well, God bless him. You see, there's a government trying to do what is right, trying to hold up what is right. But sometimes governments don't do that. Well, now what should I do when the governments don't do what is right? Should I start, well, just, I'll just, I won't pay attention. Have you thought about when you're driving your car that 55 mile an hour, is that a suggestion to you or is it a law? And when you see the line painted on the road where it says don't pass, well, maybe I'll just think that's a suggestion. I'll pass when I want to pass, do what I want to do. And so you know what we do? We end up bending the rules and we think we're doing what God wants when God says, let me tell you, I am the one who designed governments. I'm the one who, you know who's going to be the next president? It's the one God puts up there. We think we're going to, let me tell you, God puts men on the throne and God takes people down. And so we don't need to worry. Just do what you can do and be good. Submit to your government and realize that's what God says. Now, we don't like to rank ourselves under the government. I'll tell you, you ought to live in another country. I've been in all sorts of countries where it's illegal to preach, illegal, went into China and preached out into China and, and, and went up in the new territories from Hong Kong and crossed over the border and went out in the, into the jungle where people, Christians would hide where they would sing songs because it's illegal to sing songs and worship God there. Think about living in a government like that. But you know there's only one exception, I should say, in Acts the fifth chapter in verse 29. When those leaders told the apostles not to preach, they said, listen, or should we obey God or obey man? There's a time when we must do what God says when our nation says we cannot do that. There is a time for that. But sometimes we don't pay any attention to the government because we don't like what they say. We don't like what they do. And so we rebel against the government and, the God, and God is telling us here we need to learn not to do that. We need to respect the laws and respect the government. 
And whether there be a king or supreme, and notice the reason why, he says, we ought to do this not because the government deserves it, because many times, can you imagine this being written in the Roman Empire? When the emperors were wanting to be worshipped, we said this probably was written somewhere around 64. If Rome was burned about 62, 63, somewhere in there, that meant persecution was going to begin. It was going to wave across this territory where these people were living. And so you might say, well, wait a minute. This government is so corrupt and so wicked and so evil. Surely we shouldn't. The writer says we need to understand that God has put that government in place. And God's going to overthrow it when the time comes. And so we need to just do what the government says as best we can and submit to it, even though we may be feeling like we're treated like a doormat. But why should we do it? Verse 13 says, we do that, good people, for the Lord's sake. He's going to show us here over and over that when we do what is right, even when the things around us are going wrong, the only way we can win, the only way we can have influence for good, is to do what the Lord says. Do it for His sake. Do what the Lord says. And then verse uh, uh, 14 again says, Unto the governors, unto them that are sent by Him. Now think about that. God has sent these governments and these people into the world. And again, it's for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. And He says, if, uh, for, if it's, uh, for so it be, so for uh, verse 15, For so is the will of God that ye by well-doing may silence the ignorance of, of foolish men. And so how do we stop things that are wrong? How do we overcome? Let me tell you, the way to always win the battle is to live right. Live the right kind of life. Be the right kind of person. Do what is right. My wife and I were going down the road several years ago to a meeting. She was driving. We had a a navy blue colored car. And while we were going down the road, a Corvette Stingray, the same color as our car, whizzed by us on the interstate, cut over in front of us, almost hit us, and whizzed off and went up the ramp and went off the interstate. We went up to the next uh, up to the next exit and got off, and we turned off the exit. Here comes a policeman chasing down and came up behind us, and he he came up to my wife and said, "You were doing probably ninety mile an hour, ninety five mile an hour. I clocked you going that way." My wife said, "No, sir, we weren't." He said, "I clocked you," and and she said, "No, we weren't doing that." He said, "Well, he said your equipment must be broke because you were flying and I saw you and I caught you." And so uh, I said, "Sir, I was sitting here and I said I was watching my wife drive and I said no no disrespect to you, but." But but she wasn't doing that. Now, we had forgotten about that Corvette. We wish we'd have thought about that. We might have told him. But anyway, we got a ticket. And I said, oh, honey, don't worry. I said, let's don't be bothered. I said, you know, people make mistakes. We'll go to court, and we'll get this all worked out, and it'll just work out. You know how courts are? You can always expect there's two places where no crimes are going, in the church and in the courts. You know, that's what we think. Don't we? And so we went to court. She had to take off work. We went down to Louisville and had to go to court. And so we went in there, and so they... They asked her if she was, she said, no, I wasn't doing it. And they said, well, now, if you want to protest this, you've got to take off some more days of work and got to go somewhere else and go to kind of like through another trial type thing. And, and so, and they said, you're probably going to have to pay the fine anyway if you can't prove you weren't doing it. And so we said, well, we can't prove it. And the guy said, okay, then you need to either pay this big high fine or come back again and you're probably going to pay the fine because you can't prove that you weren't doing it. And so, we had to pay the fine, you see. When I, you know, what should I have done to that policeman? Should I go down and start a fist fight with him? Can you imagine that? Uh, jump up and down, scream and holler? I'd have probably been in jail. And so we need to see good people, as the book of Ecclesiastes says in the fifth chapter, when you stand before the king, you better put your hat in your hand and behave yourself because God has ordained the governments that are, whether they're corrupt or not. God uses those governments and we need to do what we don't like to do and submit ourselves unto those governments. And so he says the way we silence these people is by doing the will of God. And he says as free and not using your liberty as a cloak or as a, as a cover 
to, to, to malice, but as servants of God. And so let's don't put some cover over ourselves, some ill will and cover up our ill will. We need to realize we are servants of God, and God is saying, because you're my servant, because of my will, because I've ordained these things, let me tell you what to do. You do what the government says. Now, I'm going to tell you, does that run against your grain? That bothers me awful bad. But that's what God calls upon me to do. And to have that kind of disposition of mind. And then notice he says to us, look how he, he piles up all these things in verse 17. <clears throat> he says, honor all men. Now when you think about the word honor, it's the word for weighing gold and the value of something. Have you thought about every person you meet, that person is valuable in some way? You may not see it, you may not know it. If you had known me before I obeyed the gospel, I'll tell you, you wouldn't have liked me. You wouldn't have wanted to meet me on the street. I had long hair and a long beard. I wore hippie beads and and drank and and did drugs and, and rode a motorcycle and there's a little lady lives over in in uh, uh, let's see one of the, Owensboro Kentucky she heard about my conversion and she said to me she said you know you helped me do personal work I said how's that she said every time I pull up to a red light and see a, a hippie on a Harley Davidson with long hair and long beard I roll the window and say why don't you come to church with me because she said I'm thinking he might make a preacher someday well I'm going to tell you we don't know you see we ought to value all people we don't know about people. Value all men. That's what the Bible calls them wants to do. And then it says, love the brotherhood. Now, you know, that's a big challenge many times. You know, uh, you've probably heard me say, if you've heard me preach before, I talk about what I call church chiggers or, or human chiggers. You know what people, you know what church chiggers are? They're people who come to church. Have you ever been out picking blackberries? And you start getting a scratch and itching, and the next thing you know, you've got these little red chiggers, and they're all over you. And so you go home, and you do everything trying to get rid of them. But people are that's the same way. When some people at church in Madison come toward me, I start doing this. Here they come. Oh, I wonder what's going to be this time, you know. And they're just people like that. And what you've got to do is you've got to make up your mind about that. Am I going to love this person or am I going to be angry and bothered by them? There's a, there's a fellow there who was from a, a French Canadian and he, uh, came to Madison. He was a different sort of a fellow in every kind of a way. And so he came and he always wore clothes that were at least 40 years old. And he came in the building with a rust-colored suit on and he had on a blue tie and white shoes and green breeches. And so he came up to me. He, he said, how are you doing, Gary? I said, I'm fine. He said, throw that tie away. It looks terrible on you. Get rid of that thing. I want to draw my sword out and whittle on his suit, you know, and say something to him. No, no, I had to love the brotherhood. I've got to make up my mind whether I like people, whether they agree with me all the way, whether they're what I want them to be, I must make up my mind I'm going to love the brotherhood. That's what the Bible says. And not only does he appeal to us to do that, but notice he also says, fear God. Here's a reverential awe of God. I, I, I've, I've said you, you know, understand the fact of the matter that God can, can harm you, God can hurt you. And you need to have a great respect for the fact that you... Uh, you could be lost forever if you're not careful. So you need to, if some way, get some kind of a, a fear in the reverence. Where's the fear of God gone in our days and in our time? It seems like we've lost that. We need to have a fear, a reverence of God, a reverence of all respect for God. Uh, I was at a lady's house to remind me of this idea when I she brought some broccoli out of the uh, a kitchen and said, I just got that dish out of the oven, and so be careful with it. And so I scooped some on my plate and put it down there, and everybody was talking, and I f- sat there a minute or two thinking about it, and I, I said, boy, that looks good, and I took a stick of that broccoli, a piece of stuck in my mouth, 
And when I did, tears ran down my face. And I was looking for somewhere to unload that thing. I couldn't find it. I didn't have a napkin and nowhere to go. And I thought, whoa. And she said, when she came back in there, she said, what's the matter? I said, I learned to fear that broccoli casserole coming out of the microwave. It can hurt you, you see. You need to realize that God will harm and hurt you if you don't listen to God. He's trying to get you to respect Him so you won't be faced with the danger of the fact that you are not holy and God is going to do something to you if you don't do something about your sin. So we need to have a reverence of God. A reverence of all. Great respect for God. And so we need to see that's what the writer commands. And then he says, not only we need to have that, but he says, honor the king. And so again, and you know I've said this many times, uh, here lately anyway, I've been praying for our president. I thought, you know, his time's running out. I keep praying that maybe God help him to see and help him to turn back to God and turn turn our nation back to God and make good decisions. I, for a period of time, I'll tell you, I had a bad attitude. And I had to work on my attitude. And remember, I'm supposed to pray for rulers. Whether I agree with them or not, I need to pray for them. And I'm praying that they will do good and do what is right. I don't care who it is. Whoever gets in there, we need to pray for our rulers. So here's a picture of being told to honor those. Honor the king. But now notice, he turns then in verse 18 to another subject. And he brings up this same idea when he says servants. Now this is the word for somebody who's a bond slave. Servants, be uh, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only uh, to good but to and gentle, but to those also who are forward, to those who are harsh. Now think about this. Here's a people, first of all, under a Roman government. It looks like it's very unjust. They're told to have, have submission to that government. Now here's a picture of somebody who's a slave, has no rights at all. And they're told that, now, if, you're, if your master is good and gentle to you, well, you know, it's easy to do it then, isn't it? You know, sometimes it's easy to submit. If the, if the government's going the way I want to go, I say, oh, boy, I like this, it's good, and I don't mind submitting to it. But when it goes the other way, I start kicking my feet up in the air, you know. Here's somebody who's a servant, and they're told when your master is not good and gentle, even in that situation, you rank yourself under your master, and you show this reverence all toward them and respect for them, because that's your master, and that's what God wants you to do. And so, if you're, if you're with a master who doesn't treat you fairly, right? And we, we don't, we're not slaves today, but we might liken this to how we go to a job. You know, I, I've seen people many times who have a job, and I worked with men who felt like they weren't being paid fairly or the boss was bad to them. And so they stole from the company and they, they did all sorts of things to hurt the company. And, and they just they did destructive things. And they didn't realize, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't act that way. You can't just say, well, they're tr- not treating me right, so I'll fix their wagon. Well, I'll tell you what, I worked at National Harvester years ago. And when I started preaching, uh, people said, why are you going to leave this great job at National Harvester making all this money and a, a good insurance and good retirement? And so I said, well, I feel like I need to go preach. They said, you're crazy. And the company tried to talk me out of it. I left that job and moved to Madison, Indiana. Two years later, the factory in Louisville, Kentucky closed the doors. And it just went down because people just kept protesting and griping about everything. And so I would, many times when I worked there, men would come to me and say, I just hate this job. I, I, I said, well, come on, come on. I said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to take you over to the front office and let you quit. I'm going to go out in the window and let you resign. Let's get you out of here so you can go do something you want to do. They said, oh, I ain't going to let Well, then shut up and get to work. You see, we, we just gripe about everything. Here's the picture, whether it's just or not, whether it's fair or not. How are you going to behave if you're God's child? You see, we want to justify ourselves. We say, well, uh, that, that's good, but that's not always good, and there's some loopholes in it, and so we look for the loophole. 
The writer says we need to do what God says. And whether we're treated fairly or right, notice verse 19, for this is a trustworthy, uh, is trustworthy. If a man for, for conscience toward God endureth grief and suffer wrongfully, for what, what glory is it if when ye have been buffeted for your, your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable uh, with God. You notice, here's the picture. Uh, when you do what is right, you're going, you're going, even when you do have you noticed how hard it is to behave yourself when you're right? You know, when I'm wrong and somebody's got me, well, I can kind of, I can kind of humble myself a little bit when they got the goods on me. I can, I can kind of step down a little bit and be a little bit humble. But when I'm right, now you better watch out. Now I'm right. See, here's a picture of somebody who's right. And they're being mistreated. And they're being put down. What do you do in that situation? You behave yourself. You, you be the kind of person God wants you to be. When people mistreat you, when they do what is wrong, it, it amazes me to talk to Christians and they'll say, I can't figure out why is everything going wrong and people treat me wrong. Don't you know? It would be abnormal, the Bible shows us. It's, we shouldn't count it strange to be mistreated. We should understand that's exactly the way God knew it would be. The Old Testament helps us see those people and what went on in the Old Testament helped us see that was coming down the road for us, you see. Here we are today and so we just gripe and complain if us, we do it with each other when we mishandle each other. We don't behave ourselves. When somebody's unkind to us or does something somewhere, it just amazes me how people come and say, you know, so-and-so hadn't shook my hand in a long time. I said, well, why don't you catch up with them and shake their hand? You know, we want somebody to come and knuckle down to us and, and bow down to us. If they don't treat us right, then we're upset. Well, you crazy thing. Can't you see that Christianity is that you're not going to be treated fair and that people are going to mishandle you? And when you do that, whether it, whether it is in the government or in a, in a job or in a slave master situation, God says what we should do is endure what is right because this is what's acceptable with God. When you do what's right and you endure that, that's what God appreciates. But when you get beaten for what you've done, and you notice most of our trouble comes because we bring it on ourselves. One old boy said, said, said to an old boy, you know, if I could kick the old boy and see the britches that causes all my trouble... I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. Well, that's the truth. We cause most of our own trouble. We get bad attitudes about things. We do it with the church and with other people, the job and the world, the nation, our government. We just get ill attitudes about things, and we don't do what God wants us to do. Now, notice, have you noticed in the book of Peter, every chapter gives a beneficial reason for suffering. Have you noticed that? You notice in the first chapter, verse 7, what this suffering does is it, our faith is developed and tried, and our faith becomes more valuable and more significant because of the suffering and the trouble we go through. So there's a benefit to it. Well, now notice the second chapter gives us the second reason that is beneficial and what's good about suffering. Verse 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Now notice something. You know what we're being told there? When you're suffering for wrong and you've done what is right, what you need to realize is when you're doing that, you know what you are at that moment in time, when you suffer for right for wrong, you are more like the Lord than any other time in all your life. That's what the Lord wants you to do. And so you're more like Him when you're suffering, when you've done what's right. So when you're doing right and somebody mistreats you, just say, well, I know I'm standing in good company now. I'm standing with the Lord now. I'm walking in the steps of my Lord. I've done right. And somebody has mistreated me or said something bad about me or done something to hurt me. And so I'm doing what the Lord wants, walking in the steps. I'm following Him. And so I'm, I'm being more like the Lord right now than any other time. 
And so Peter's helping us see that's a beneficial thing that we find with suffering. Now notice what he does next. He takes us now and really begins to focus on Isaiah 53. Have you ever noticed that? When he says, who did no sin, Isaiah 53 verse 9. Neither was gall found in his mouth. That's a, a reference to Isaiah 53 verse 9. Uh, gall in his mouth. Uh, verse 23 says, who when he was reviled, uh, he reviled not again. That's Isaiah uh, 15 verse 6. And if you ever notice Isaiah 15 verse 6, what it says about the Lord, it says when the Lord, it says when they beat his back, you know when they scourged Jesus before they crucified him? When somebody is scourging you or beating you, what would you be tempted to do? If you try to kick me or beat me on the back, I might try to try to kick back at you or swing at you or something. The Bible says the Lord gave his back to those who were beating him. They were humiliating him and trying to beat him down and he gave his back to them. And then it says, when they pulled out my beard, I gave my face to them. If somebody tries to snatch you by the beard and jerk you around, you're going to jerk away from them. The Lord gave His beard to them. When they humiliated Him, when they were causing Him to suffer and anguish and pain, He gave His beard and let them pull it out. And then it says, He also endured the shame and the spittle. He put His face toward the shame and the spittle. He let them spit on you. What would you do to somebody spit on you? Can you act like the Lord when you're being humiliated, when you haven't done a thing wrong? Can you serve other people and sacrifice like the Lord did when you're being mishandled in some way? That's what Jesus did. If I'm going to be like the Lord, I'm not going to whine and gripe and cry. Why Why don't people treat me right? Why don't I get what's coming to me? Oh, bless your poor heart. Why don't you try to be like the Lord a little while? Rather than getting mad running off somewhere or causing trouble with other people, lay your sword down. And stick your back out to them. Give your beard to them and let them spit on you. Uh, one time an old boy going out the back of the building told me, he said, you know, I just want to spit on you good. I said, well, I hope you don't get on my fine tie. <laughs> that just made him, got, he got tickled and went out and didn't spit on me after all. But you know, sometimes people just want to do that. And that's the way life is. And so you can't let that bother you. Notice he goes on to say in this verse, in verse 23, after mentioning the fact that he, he didn't revile, he didn't, when somebody insulted him, he didn't insult them back. That's what we sometimes do. And then he says also, uh, when he suffered, he threatened not. Now this again, statements from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. But committed himself unto him uh, that judges righteously. And so Isaiah makes that clear. That's what Jesus was doing. And verse 24, who his own self bear our sins, Isaiah 53 and verse 4, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness. And then it says this, this statement is made by whose stripes we are healed. That's Isaiah 53 and verse 5. So here's these passages of Isaiah showing Jesus came and he was mistreated, mishandled, everything that could be done to him. He was beaten. Why was he beaten? Not because he did anything. He didn't do it. He did it because of me. He took my sin. And so the being that God gave him, that we, we kind of think God must be mad at him, Isaiah said, but actually God wasn't mad at him. God was angry at us because of our sin. And Jesus took that and bore it. And he didn't try to fight back. He didn't try to defend himself. He gave into it so that we could be saved, so that we could be drawn on the road to salvation. And so the writer says to us in verse 4 and in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that being that, that, that we being dead to, uh, to sin, 
should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And so we ought to see, because of what Jesus did, we ought to get up and obey the gospel. We ought to get up and become committed. We ought to serve Him. He died for us. He loves us. And the writer would say to us in verse 25, For we, for ye, uh, for ye uh, were as sheep gone astray, but now are ye returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Notice the Lord is trying to draw us to come to Him. Here's a picture in Isaiah again, the 53rd chapter, of us being like sheep. Have you ever uh, studied much or know much about sheep? Uh, I was uh, heard about a boy, his family raised sheep, and he went to school. And uh, the teacher said, Johnny, if you've got a hundred sheep in a fold, and one of those sheep jumps out of the fold, how many sheep you have left? He said, zero. She said, Johnny, you don't know your math very well. He said, I might not, but you don't know sheep. He said, when one goes, they all go. Sheep do what sheep do, you see. And I talked to an old boy that was a shepherd. He told me one time he had some sheep in a fold. He had a stick up on the gate. And he said something spooked those sheep. And the biggest one ran to the gate and jumped up to go over that gate. When he jumped up, he knocked the stick down. He said, you know what amazed me? Every one of those sheep ran out and every one of them jumped where the stick used to be. You know what people do? You watch us. We do what people do. That's why we're like sheep. And the Lord said, do you not understand? If you do what other people do, you're going to go away from me. But what you need to do is you need to return and come back and become a shepherd of the Lord, the bishop and the shepherd of your soul. He wants you to come home. He wants you to come back. He wants you to obey the gospel. He wants you to be committed and faithful. And He wants you to learn that part of the process is to submit. Now tomorrow night we're going to talk about wives, and so some of you ladies might want to stay home. Not really. And we're going to talk about husbands. Some of you husbands may wish you had stayed home. <laughs> but not really. But we need to see. It's a, it's a purpose of ranking yourself under other people. I don't know why we have such a problem with trying to look at others and to exalt them up and to put ourselves down below them and to rank ourselves under others. If you're here tonight, my friend, and you've never obeyed the gospel, you need to submit yourself to the Lord tonight. You need to come and put your will under His will. And come with a confession on your mouth that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And to have a desire to repent. Change your will and determine you're going to do God's will from here on. That's what you're going to do. And then to be baptized so your sins can be washed away. And come up out of that water grave of baptism, live in the great hope of heaven, and get up and go out that door. And I tell you, when I first obeyed the gospel on a Sunday, I went to work on Monday. And I had in my mind, I said, I thought it's going, there were about 3,500 men working where I was. I thought that would probably take me about a week to convert that whole bunch in there. I went to work my Bible on Monday morning. And I began to find out that serving God will make people sometimes mistreat you a lot more than you ever did before. But I'm going to tell you, it's worth every bit of it. You don't want to stand with the world and be lost forever. If you're here tonight, you'd respond anyway once you come. We'll just sing the song we could.